0: one of the legacy problems with, I would say crypto and blockchain in general, is this, um, there's, there's number one, a lot of anonymity around it. There are tokens or cryptocurrencies that are untraceable. Um, but the, and and, which has led to a lot of nefarious uses, which has caused problems, money laundering, terrorist financing, which are plenty of global mandates around as well as, um, illicit purposes uses of funds. So when I say illicit drugs, child trafficking, human trafficking, etc. So without getting into all of that, but basically, um, the very nature of it allows for those those types of activities. What we've done is basically built a a, a private permission blockchain. Um, and if you look, it's, it's been very interesting is now very highly promoted uh, public and private permission chains, because there's very um, significant utility in these technologies. We have tied um, identity to compliance, so basically saying with a minimal set of verifiable credentials, we can create an identity, we can apply in our in our nomenclature badge that identity and with that badge um, be compliant with both global and jurisdictional um, compliance and regulatory standards.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Yaka Talks. Today, we're here with Kirk Chapman, co-founder and CEO of the Universal Ledger. They just came out of stealth not long ago, having raised $10 million, not too shabby. They also happen to be a core piece of the hard Yaka ecosystem. We're going to get to know Kirk a little bit, as well as his company, plus his perspective on how ledger tech and payments are evolving around the world, not just the technology and product, but also the regulatory landscape. Because here's the thing, when you're solving a problem as big and fundamental as something like money and payments, that can have a colossal economic impact on individuals, on small businesses or big international ones, governments. But enough for me, Kirk, how's it going?
0: Well, Alec, thank you for having me.
1: It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. Why, why don't we start with a quick intro? Who's this Chapman guy? What's his story?
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, obviously I am now the CEO of universal ledger. My background, um, is really banking and fintech my entire career. Um, I started off the first, uh, few years of my career. I started a company, um, in the Southeast. We were a managed service provider for banks, um, spent about a decade in that space, really, um, delving into banking, bank ops, all legacy tech, I would say, um, kind of the, the forefront though, of just moving from on-prem servers to cloud providers. So Fiserv, FIS, and Jack Henry moving to, um, remote services, um, went through the crisis in 2008, um, kind of shutting, shutting down some of the banks that we had, uh, stood up, Worked uh, work with the fed, um, which is pretty interesting, um, again, not, not just learning about the tech, but also just how, how lending works, how money moves, how payments work, um, uh, very involved in the Friday afternoon calls when the, uh, the black vehicles would show up uh, to a bank on Friday and reopen on Monday with a different, uh, different name out front. Um, got through that. One of the banks we had was under a consent, um, in South Carolina, some private equity players came in, they bought it. They wanted to have, um, kind of a very early on play to what I, what, what a lot of people have done recently, but bought the bank for the bank charter. Um, they wanted to build a white label payments platform on it. Uh, we built that introduced the first, um, us, um, installation of the Temenos T24 platform, which was what Mpesa um, used when they kind of, um, really, uh, changed the way Africa, um, moved, moved value. Um, after that, I spent a couple years in that space, um, stood that up, um, actually, uh, worked early on with some of the, the very early um cash players, Square Cash being one of them. Uh, from there, we changed gears, basically built out a lending platform um, with the bank, went through a couple of phases with that, um, just stepped away for a moment and then stepped back in working for SoFi, ran all their operational tech, um, everything from all their enterprise infrastructure down to desktop support, um, helped them get their bank charter from a tech standpoint, made an acquisition of a company called Galileo, which is uh, a great um payments provider. Um they, uh, they actually power about 85% of the challenger banks in the U S space. Um, I became, uh, uh, head of strategy for Galileo and the middle of all that I was advisor to the CEO for Anthony Noto, which was also a great place to, to learn, not just about, um, FinTech, but about running a business and leadership. Um, so very grateful for that until about one year ago in which, uh, Greg and I had a talk, a rehash of a talk we had, uh, three years earlier and I decided to, to, to join him on this venture called universal ledger.
1: Uh, the the infamous Greg Talks. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, obviously steeped in banking, payments, experience, you know, operations, lending, also building out these platforms. I mean, you were sort of like rebuilding banks over the weekend during the crisis, I guess. At at what point does something like blockchain and like distributed ledger tech sort of come onto your radar?
0: Yeah, I think um, it's a great question. I, I mean, um I would say my career has always been um, kind of on the, on the front end of banking for sure. Like I said, we did the first um, real production um, installation of the Temenos T24 um, with a company out of Alabama, um, so which was a very new banking core, very modern, um, all API driven um you know at SoFi, of course they were on the challenger bank side they had a a banking core that we had to actually kind of extract a lot of the key components um, i didn't mention this we acquired a banking core called um, technesis out of south america again very leading competitor to mambu and some of the other players who are in the space um, but really i would say blockchain kind of came on the scene um, really when I was at SoFi, um, part of my role as advisor to Anthony Noto was to look at emerging technologies, how they fit, is there opportunities for SoFi to integrate with them? Um, are the revenue opportunities, all of that? And I would say, um, kind of understanding what blockchain is, the movement of money, what crypto is, um, can that apply to kind of legacy problems in the banking space or in the payment space more, more specifically? And the answer is is clearly yes. And I would say and we can talk about this, um, but there are different components that apply and some components that just, they don't apply, you know what I mean? Or or maybe they're not as useful as
1: others. Right, right. I That makes sense, right? In your position, being sort of at the forefront of a lot of this technological innovation, thinking about how you can incorporate it, um, you know, into your platforms. Uh, I guess blockchain sort of, you know, requires some exploration at the very least, maybe not as a solution, but potentially as a tool for, for addressing some of the challenges that that we have today. Um, you just raised a boatload of money at a time when fundraising is down. You've got a working product, you're licensed and regulated. You're chatting with potential customers around the world, companies, government officials, policymakers. You've got your first integration coming up. The Universal Ledger kind of is already a big deal. What's what's that all about?
0: Um, I, I guess taking it one at a time. Um, we did raise a, f- a fair amount of money um, at a time where fundraising is is difficult. It's particularly difficult in our space. Um, you know, as as you know, we 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 closed last round in, in March, which is post. FTX post some of the, the, the news around um, around finance early on, definitely some of the other um, exchanges um, and custodians. Um, I would say all of that speaks to the validity of 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 our product and what we're trying to accomplish. So um, so I would just s- start with that. We are talking to um, different government officials and different banks across the world um and i would say our solution is is very unique as you as you mentioned in the bahamas we are regulated under the dare act we spent the last year um in stealth building the foundational components of universal ledger one of those was becoming licensed and regulated we feel that that um, plays to our strengths of being a compliance and identity first based um, digital wallet platform um but yeah i mean um i would say you know the, the the market is telling us or i'd say affirming kind of what we set out to do a year ago um and everything from the conversations that we're having to even more recently um you know the the bis bank of international settlement paper that came out um the market signals are definitely in our favor um from from everything from the funds we're able to raise the conversations we're able to have and then other um, non-related uh news that's coming out that supports um
1: what we're trying to, what we're trying to accomplish that, that that's awesome and 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 let's Let's dig in a little bit to what you're trying to accomplish, right? Right. Let, let Let's talk about what you building, what you've been building for the last year. You know, you mentioned this identity compliance first uh, wallet sort of platform. Like, w- w- what exactly is that all about?
0: Yeah, sure. So, one of the legacy problems with, I would say, crypto and blockchain in general is this. Um, there's There's number one, a lot of anonymity around it there are tokens or cryptocurrencies that are untraceable um but the and and which has led to a lot of nefarious uses which has caused problems money laundering terrorist financing which are plenty of global mandates around as well as um illicit purposes uses of funds so when i say illicit drugs child trafficking human trafficking etc so without getting into all of that but basically um the very nature of it allows for those those types of activities what we've done is basically built a a uh, private permission blockchain. Um, and if you look, it's, it's been very interesting is now very highly promoted, uh, public and private permission chains because there's very, um, significant utility in these technologies. We have tied, um, identity to compliance. So basically saying with a minimal set of verifiable credentials, we can create an identity, we can apply in our, in our nomenclature, badge that identity. And with that badge, um, be compliant with both global and jurisdictional, um, compliance and regulatory standards. And so we have tied that directly into the blockchain itself, which allows, um, any developer or government that wants to build an app, um, bank that wants to build an app to be able to allow. Um, really, the innovators take over the space, much like when iPhone, when Apple came with the iPhone, they didn't create apps; they allowed the innovators to come up with the ideas and and, um, and innovate there. But we're creating the foundation that allows banks, countries, jurisdictions, innovators to build um, digital wallet experiences um, and use cases and apply that technology to use cases while making sure that they're compliant in the respective jurisdictions and not facilitating um, kind of global requirements and compliance standards that are they're there for the the betterment of the world. Just to be clear, they're not not there for purely restrictive purposes.
1: Okay, so from what it sounds like, you're, you're not a crypto company, um, and you're not really a wallet provider either, right? You're you're building this platform to allow you know developers, businesses, governments um, to leverage the benefits of of blockchain, um, but really for you know one of the first times now they have digital identity be. Digital identity baked in. They have compliance baked into the ledger itself. It's 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 sort of the best of of both worlds. Um, how how are you know you you've been talking to to customers to you know businesses like how are people thinking about how they might use a platform like this?
0: Yeah. Um, so you're right. We're not we're not crypto. We provide a digital token. Absolutely. Can we mint, burn, manage digital tokens? Absolutely can. We're non exchange. We're non custodial. So. Um, one of the key things is that our, our platform does not allow us to be a custodian. So avoiding those pitfalls where from an operational standpoint, you're tempted to, to use funds for other purposes than our customers. We don't hold their private keys. So we're able to provide um, a digital wallet platform that can hold digital tokens or tokenized assets in a non-custodial way. Um, But it's up to the developer to provide the, the user experience or the use case to, to utilize it. And so built on that, the conversations we're having, Um, there's a number of, number of ways to use this, um, in the Middle East and in Asia, there are mandates by certain countries where they want to have unicorns, FinTech unicorns coming out of those countries, um, in those, one of them without, without being specific, um, it takes two years from uh, inception for a fintech to be able to go through all the compliance standards and be able to actually go to market with an app. And you can imagine a two-year burn rate on a startup before they can even go generate revenues. So, the graveyard's pretty full of, of fintechs trying to get to market, and they're and at the same time, they're mandating saying, "Hey, we want a we want a um, a unicorn coming out of this out of this country in the next um, four or five years." So there's there's one use case It's purely just helping digital labs, um, blockchain labs in certain jurisdictions. Another one is along the same lines, there's certainly in the Middle East countries that have mandates to be cashless. So facilitating a cashless society by 2030, for example, in the UAE, Um, in that scenario, how are you going to facilitate a cashless society unless you have identity and compliance all built into a platform to be able to move digital assets around? Those are huge remittance corridors and in the UAE specifically, you've got 10 million people and I think eight or nine million of those are migrant workers that are sending money back home or back to their 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 home countries so those are those are two very very obvious use cases um in the far east um complete modernization of payments where people are looking to modernize payments and you have to understand these legacy systems as painful as they are they have the right controls built in so how do you go from a legacy platform not go all the way to complete anonymity and just move move money around um, but actually be able to control those and see where the money is going and programmatically control, um, a tokenized, a tokenized asset. Um, one of the, one of the, one of the kind of global mandates I would say, and we can talk about this in context, but is really even just around financial inclusion, you know? And so when we talk about, you know, just the ability to give people access to finances to everybody that has a mobile phone, and I don't want to be, this is a very tired kind of underbanked, unbanked, tired argument, but i mean i've been in this space a long time but i definitely think being able to promote financial inclusion on a level of compliance what i mean by that is giving people financial inclusion not in a way that hey i i'm including the financial ecosystem through um an exchange that sends money to a guy that's sitting in a bodega somewhere in in pakistan or in thailand or in you know some country where where you're not really sure where what what hands the money is, has has transpired through um but actually being able to provide visibility into those transactions and providing financial inclusion which is very different than just saying hey i have access to get my hands on
1: money right right and, and you know to your point right the, these are legacy systems um a, a lot of the technologies are are antiquated um but also to your point th- there's a reason for that and and there's a reason why these systems work the way they do but you know now we do have this Uh, you know, opportunity to, to digitize, to tokenize, to make programmable uh, digital assets, which now is this trillion dollar plus market and, and growing, you know, stable coins are all the rage. Uh, There's talk of Tether potentially being more profitable than BlackRock. Uh, And, you know, we see all these different wallet offerings out there already. And we know that these innovations offer real value, right? Just in terms of access to your point about financial inclusion, speed, cost, the fact that they're digitally native. Um, it's why we have all these governments experimenting with central bank digital currencies. Like they they know this is coming, right? Yep. Then on the flip digital. side, it sort of also raises all these additional questions, you know, questions of compliance, of of privacy, how does AML work in this sort of blockchain world? Uh, you know, politicians are drafting or have already passed legislation on this front. But as is typical, you know, EU is a little ahead of the US uh but we've got jerome powell he's he's talking about stable coins and how they should be under the fed's purview um then you've got these places like the u a e Singapore and now sort of Hong Kong rising that really want to create this sort of regulated environment that fosters innovation you're having conversations with with people that that matter what are you what are you seeing out there and and where do you see things going
0: yeah um so Yeah, to your point, we're having we're having we're in conversations UAE in Hong Kong um, in Africa. Um, It's been very interesting to me in these conversations to see the difference between what's going on at a global scale versus what's going on in a somewhat isolated um, U.S. environment. And so, I would say the biggest thing that um, that I have seen is, and and it's it's been somewhat concerning to me is that I do see the U.S. very much infighting around you know, who owns what, you know, you know, is, is, is it a security? Is it not a security? Do we ban all crypto? How do we look at it? And it's very much, um, at least certainly globally comes across as an internal power struggle, um, and, and not, not helpful for, for promoting what's really, um, a new way of, of moving money. And conversely, when I look at the middle East and Asia, specifically, we have regulators that are that are collaborating, they're getting, getting together to say, Hey, we know this technology is coming. It's moving forward. How do we have a common set of jurisdictional regulatory principles so that when we're moving money back and forth between countries? We have a common framework. Um, and, and really not just, not just accepting what is, but, but, but promoting it. And, and your, your point, Alec, Alec, it's, there's a lot of legacy tech and legacy tech works. You know what I mean? Um, you know, um, not to, not to use a, um, a movie, uh, example, but if you watch Sisu, which I don't know if I'd recommend it, but the guys walks around for a week with a bag full full of gold and like that works, you know, I mean, you could, you know, a hundred years ago, bringing your horse into town with a bag full of gold works, but there's a reason why we switched to dollars because it's lighter and it's easier to move and you don't have to dig around for it, you know? And so now we move to this other digital asset and now we're moving into a, a whole new framework around digital payments. And so It's not so much of whether or not it's coming it's whether or not you're going to accept it or whether you're going to be essentially you know wheeling your wheelbarrow full of gold into town or whether you're going to actually use you know dollars and so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out it's it's been a little discouraging actually to kind of see um the us not take a lead in something that's it's going to happen
1: i i think your disappointment in in the us is sort of valid and you know there's a place where we're still writing tons of paper checks but you know also as someone who lives here i I kind of get it right. My my day to day, you know, I've got Apple pay, I've got Venmo, you know, stuff more or less works and, and I'm okay. Um, where do you see these kinds of technologies having the most impact today or in the short term? Right. Because maybe for your typical person in, in America, you know, maybe they have a lot of these sort of benefits baked into their system. Um, but, you know, what, where where are we sort of looking to, to have the most impact? And you also mentioned this BIS paper, you know, what kind of impact are we talking about?
0: Yeah, I think the most impact, just your, your point is well made. Um, and I think U.S., while being a global leader economically, um, we represent a very small percentage of the population, of the global population. And so, um, you know, 80% of the world lives in Asia and Africa. Um, and I would say complementing that or, or in addition to that, There's a lot of micro payments where for us, you know, we don't we don't mind we're used to 3% interchange, you know, if we're selling something that going to um, a car processor 3% in a, in a emerging economy is is significant. And so, um, and if you take the major payment corridors, like I mentioned earlier, um, the Middle East going back to Asia. there's countries in the Middle East on a fat off gray list. So I think these types of technologies that can get, provide, and I know it keeps saying something which is very, I would say, sometimes difficult to even hear myself say, but being able to provide programmatic money where you can control and see kind of the lineage of the money itself, of the token, where it's headed um is very powerful for these countries not from a big brother standpoint but just from a transparency standpoint and and allowing them allowing those countries to interact with the rest of the global economy without other countries using that as leverage to say okay you're you're promoting terrorist financing you're, you're promoting illicit transactions you're promoting uh, weapons proliferation or money laundering, you know, those countries don't want that. They want to participate freely in the global economy. So I think yeah, from a government scale, certainly their, their, their ability to use this technology to, to do, to, to do that. And then from a consumer standpoint, which is always where it really matters is the ability to move money faster, cheaper, lose less value, the value destruction that takes place in those countries with exchanges up to 12, 15%, moving money back to their family. That's, that's significant. Um, and so being able to, to facilitate that in a way that they trust it. Um, so they know that the money is going home, it's going home inexpensively and they can control how that money's being spent. Um, I think to answer your question, those,
1: those areas, um, will 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 we'll be first movers on it. Yeah. I, I mean, it all makes sort of intuitive sense, right? If, if people are able to do the things that they need to do to transact at, you know, with better access, with better speed, with that are cost. It's, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. It is.
0: And to your point, uh, part of it is, part of it is, is mandated. I mean, there's a reason we still use checks here. It's because Safeway still accepts checks, you know, Um, in other areas of the world, it's uh, other countries that are maybe smaller, both in number and geographically, the government can say, Hey, look, we know there's value destruction in money. We, we have banks that are, have costs of liquidity sitting in ATMs, of drivers moving money around, of that being turned to cash being used for illicit purposes. So we're actually going to move in, in a direction, and, and society has to conform to that. Um, and there's, you know, it, it can be very appropriate.
1: Well, now we have Universal Ledger sort of forging the path uh, ahead. What, what do we have to look forward to, um, you know, in the next 6, 12 months?
0: Yeah, um, I think, as I as I said, number one, we're having a lot of conversations. They're not small conversations. So, um, you know, I think Universal Ledger is uniquely positioned to solve these problems. Um, And um, I say that somewhat conservatively. I've been in the space a long time, so I'm probably, um, you know, more bearish on myself than anyone, but I think there's uh, there's real opportunity here. As I mentioned, this the Bank of International International Settlement just came out with a paper. It's great. They refer to something called the unified ledger, um, ironically, which I found somewhat amusing because we've worked on this for a year, um, as a universal ledger and it talks about how all this works. And I would say it's exactly what we've been building for the last year. So obviously it doesn't matter if no one, if no one knows about universal ledger, but I would say, um, we've, we've been working towards exactly what they're talking about. And so there's plenty of opportunity for us. Um, that paper doesn't talk about how it's solved, what technology is used. It just says, this is the framework that, that, that could work to solve real problems. Um, I think from our standpoint, just on on that note, you know, um, look, I've been in startups before. Um, you know, we've we brought in some very senior folks for Universal Ledger that not only know technology, but know business. And I think, you know, you can't it's one thing to ride a wave or try to catch a wave when it's going. It's one thing to be right ahead of the wave so you can catch it when it gets to you. And I think As I mentioned, we spent the last year in stealth building something that we saw um, where the world was headed globally um, and technologically with with blockchain. And I think we're 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 poised to capitalize on it. Um, I think I'm most excited about um, about the human component, which I think can be somewhat misleading. Um, But I think being able to um, the financial inclusion play, you know, through existing partners is is actually pretty real. Um, And so I'm excited to see see how that plays out as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to kind of see, see the world continue to head in this direction for us to be a part of it and be a part of the conversations and be in the middle of it and provide solutions for it.
1: Totally. Yeah. I, you know, the, the thing they, they always say about like money finance payments, it's the most regulated industry on the planet. Right. And, you know, for, for good reason, um, I feel a lot of blockchain sort of early chapters has been about, you know sort of move fast and break things like like how do we how do we make this thing and just get it out there um but yeah it's it's exciting to sort of see the evolution now and 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 to have you know a company like universal ledger try to thread that needle at the intersection of of compliance and, and innovation and i think to your point it's with that sort of approach that you will be able to have that human impact right because you know to your point we've been talking about financial inclusion and all these things for, for ages um, but you know, it, 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 feels like we're, we're actually getting there now.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more and, and your sentiment, um, around move fast, break things with payments doesn't help anyone, man. It doesn't help anyone when you, when your debit card doesn't work because you move so fast, you know, it doesn't help anybody when you don't have access to your funds. And so being methodical and disciplined in, in our approach, um, so that not only are we solving problems, but we're building a sustainable company, um, I think is key. And, um, you know, the guys that are part of this, of, uh, embarking on this, on this mission with UL, um, we've seen a lot, we know a lot and, uh, and you're
1: right. I think it's exciting to be a part of something that really solves real problems. I love it. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward to, uh, to seeing what's next, uh, with you and your team. Thanks a lot, Kirk. Uh, you Thanks know, we appreciate it. your yeah, time. You. It, it was a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much. We'll see you all on the next one. Bye-bye.